Business Podcast, Episode 11. Today's episode is brought to you by Blockbuster. Blockbuster's out of business now. I think there's three in Alaska left. But today we're going to be talking about its historic rise and fall. Probably one of the biggest companies to completely dissipate in American history. I mean, you got Blockbuster, Circuit City, Radio Shack, I guess, uh, and uh, Pan Am, the airline. Enron that's probably up there. And actually, it's it's kind of funny because Blockbuster and Enron tried to do business together. For those of you who have never heard about Enron, you should definitely look it up. I'm not going to do an episode on it because it seems like a lot of research. But I have done the research today for Blockbuster and why why it failed, why it disappeared. And, you know, the knee-jerk reaction is just to blame Netflix. Because that's how people consume movies nowadays. But it really wasn't always that way. A lot of people don't even remember that Netflix, you would get your DVD shipped in the mail in a little red envelope. But I gotta have someone to blame. Blockbuster was such a big part of my childhood. And I... I definitely was going there at the peak. I would say their peak was probably 2004, but I think my I think my family got a DVD player in like 2002 or 3 maybe. And uh yeah, and then, you know, you can only watch the movies that you had to buy. So, you go to Blockbuster to rent them. You go down the aisles, you see neighbors, you see people from the community. You see him looking at a movie, maybe you saw the trailer, but you, you you could just go up to him and ask, oh, you know, I saw the trailer for that, have you seen it, do you like it, what do you think about it, and they'll give you an on, a very honest recommendation. And that, that really doesn't exist on Netflix, I'm sure there's some sort of community um, group, but nothing really that's prevalent, or at least that I've heard about, then again, what do I know? But really, the digital version of that is AI. And I'm up to this point, whatever is suggested for me on my Netflix queue, I don't know, I guess it's about the same as a stranger's recommendation. But still, going to that Blockbuster, the candy, oh my gosh. They had all the candy, the best candy, snow caps, cookie dough bites, different types of popcorn and everything. They had video games there, too. You could rent video games. I remember my going over to my friend's house, and his dad would drive us down to the Blockbuster. We'd pick out a game and a movie, maybe. And uh, it, was, it was just brought me so much joy. And I need someone to blame. So I did all this research. And I figured out what exactly happened to Blockbuster. So, if you've never watched this podcast before, I try and describe what happened chronologically, and then I always wind up going off shoot, rambling on about stuff. But today, 
I'm going to try my best not to do that. But it's almost inevitable. Anyways, Blockbuster. Founded in 87, 85. And then, you know, they opened up a few stores in those first two years. And then this guy, uh, Willie Huizenga, something like that. He was the co-founder of WM Waste Management. So he sees these few Blockbuster stores popping up. And there was a ton of other local, small franchises. uh, Not franchises, but, you know, little mom-and-pop shops and small chains doing movie rentals. So he saw Blockbuster doing their thing, and he was like, okay, right, I'm going to invest so he took that, he, he bought some of the stores, and what he did was he used some of the strategies that he had learned from growing WM to the huge business that it was at the time and still is today. And he combined that with McDonald's expansion model, their aggressive growth entering new markets at an incredible pace, and... Blockbuster was opening so many stores, they were opening the equivalent to one store every 24 hours. And that's the only other business, really, that's done that since. I'd probably say would be Starbucks. But, so, Blockbuster's doing well. They're opening up all these stores. And then, in 90... Eight, Netflix ships their first DVD. So I know this podcast is called Netflix Didn't Kill Blockbuster. And you're like, okay, why is this guy bringing up Netflix right at the beginning? But it's not Netflix didn't kill Blockbuster or Redbox or Walmart. These things we're about to talk about. That didn't kill them. What killed them was they were just complacent about it. They didn't do anything to stop it. They had opportunities to crush their competition. So let me tell you about the first opportunity. That came in 98, right? So Blockbuster had this deal with Warner Brothers for the VHS tapes. They would would pay them back 40% of the profit that the tape made. Blockbuster kept the other 60%. So they're trying to Warner Brothers wanted to do the same thing with the DVDs. And Blockbuster was like, "Nah, you know, we we need to get more. We need to get more out of it." And they just couldn't reach a deal, even the same deal that they currently had for VHSs. So Warner Brothers was like, "All right, well, we're just going to drop the price and just do wholesale." So that led the way for Walmart to start selling it because now the prices are lower walmart's all about low prices and also think about this dvds going into walmart probably also helped with their dvd player sales and walmart has everything there and it probably sped up the pace that this country adopted dvds or sorry dvd players because People go to Walmart for everything. Me, personally, you know, I I graduated college. I got an all right job. You know, I could 
afford to shop elsewhere, but Walmart's great. And for those of you who have never been to a Walmart or don't have a Walmart in your town, I'm really sorry for you. Anyways, Walmart starts selling DVDs. So now that's, you know, Blockbuster had the opportunity right there to preempt all that and just make a deal with Warner Brothers. The same deal that they already had in place for VHSs. Chose not to. That's instance one. Instance two, Netflix. So, like I said, they started in 98. They focused on mail. They were going to, they had a warehouse and a processing center, those two being the same thing. And they were just going to mail DVDs straight from there, straight to your house. You'd go online and you'd select what, uh, what movies you wanted, and they'd send them in the mail. I think in 99, they made it a subscription service. And the whole idea was, instead of Blockbuster with their tremendous overhead, the store has to be staffed all day, you know, there's probably like bathrooms in there, you got, you know, there's just a million things you got to deal with. You got to have a good location if you have a Blockbuster, the leases are high. At the processing center, that's, you reduce your overhead tremendously. But the thing was, they had to get to scale, and they could not turn a profit in those first few years. So it's 2002. They are strapped for cash. They bad Netflix. So Netflix goes to Blockbuster. Netflix says, hey, you guys, here's the deal. You guys buy us for $50 million. We will take care of the online side of things. And you guys can manage the stores. And you, you guys will own both brands. Um, but y'all are giving us $50 million and we'll continue those uh, the mail operation. Blockbuster couldn't care less. Their philosophy was, all right, what, someone's going to order a movie and then wait three days for it? No, they want it right then and there. They want to go drive to the store, pick it up, have it in their hands, be ready to watch that that night. So they rejected Netflix's deal of $50 million. And let's just think about that for a second. $50 million, right? And what's this, 2002? Today, Netflix has a market cap, and a market cap is how many shares there are times the price of each share. So Netflix has a market cap of $130 billion. So let's look at it in a vacuum. Let's say everything goes exactly the same, even if Blockbuster bought Netflix. That $50 million would be worth 2,600 times more than they paid for it. That's ridiculous. So, it's not like Netflix was this unstoppable force that Blockbuster couldn't do anything about. Netflix didn't kill Blockbuster. Blockbuster could have wrote that check easy. But instead... They didn't play offense. They didn't even really play defense because they didn't start 
mailing DVDs till 2004. So that's two years after. Well, two years after that deal. But, I mean, five, six years after Netflix had even started. So when you're a big company like that and you see a potential disruptor innovator, what you do is you throw like a very, you you create a little sidecar sort of, right? And you let it be autonomous. You might put like 5% of your uh, resources into it. And you just let them do their own thing. And you, you try and mimic what they're doing to the very least or innovate on the innovators' innovations. And that's how you be defensive about it. Or offensive about it. Both. Something. Just don't be complacent. Blockbuster just waited. So that was the second time they could have done something. Now let's go to the third time. I, before... Um, before streaming got big, I would definitely go to Redbox a lot. So Redbox started in 2002 with the idea of it's going to be a vending machine and there's going to be milk and eggs and DVDs. So they did that for two years and was like, hey, you know what? Maybe people don't want milk and eggs from a vending machine, but the DVDs are doing really good. So Redbox, they stuck with the DVDs from then on out. Good for them. Their whole thing... Their innovation was, compared to Blockbuster, square footage, magnitude smaller, right? And then you didn't really have that labor cost either. You don't have to pay some teenager with zits and braces to work it till, you know, 10 p.m. at night. This thing is just 24 hours. It's always going. And once really, once they got that dollar-a-day format down... It was off to the races. So now here Blockbuster is with three competitors. But up until 2004, like they were still at their peak. So what happened from then? Okay, so now we're all caught up. We're, we're at the peak, peak of Blockbuster. What was the downfall? So all these opportunities that they didn't take to crush their competition, that didn't even catch up to them until about 2007. But in 2005, what happened was the CEO, John Antioco, he was supposed to get some ridiculous bonus, about $50 million. So Blockbuster, they were a publicly traded company, right? When you're a publicly traded company, people can come in and buy up a bunch of shares and shareholders have voting rights, right? And... So if you have a bunch of money, you could buy up a bunch of share and you could start to influence the company. It's called activist investing. So Carl Icahn, huge name in activist investing. He was trying to get some board seats. He may even got people, more people on the board um, from his camp. Uh, But he was like, this is ridiculous. This John Antioco guy, he doesn't deserve this bonus. And then another thing, John Antioco... He he said, we're going to get rid of late fees, right? And Blockbuster was making $200 million a year off late fees. That was, honestly, a lot of their profit was coming from late fees. So he says that they're going to get rid of late fees. And honestly, there was a huge backlash from the public. Because 
there was like these other hidden fees behind it, so they weren't really getting rid of it. And then, so Carl Icahn's coming in there, and he's like, this guy doesn't know what he's doing. He he gets some people on the inside. James Keyes was another executive at the company. I believe that's his name. But anyways, he gets this other conse- uh, executive, and they, they, they manage to oust John Antioco, the current CEO, and get rid of him in 2007. So... Like I said, he was trying to get rid of that $200 million from late fees. Then he also said, we're going to invest $200 million in digital. And they just had a coup, and they got rid of him. And then that other executive, let's call him James Keyes, but I don't really... That, that, could, that could be wrong. I'm not going to Google it. So James Keyes comes in, and it's... You know, things are all right, but like I said, those... The Sleeping Giants are there. Netflix had grown to 7 million subscribers, right? And here, Blockbuster is trying to catch up. They managed to like string a few years together and get up to 2 million subscribers on their online digital. And they were still trying to have the whole omni-channel environment where... You would go, you would you would get a DVD in the mail, and then you you could return to the store. But they realized the whole like the mail part wasn't really that profitable for them, so they got rid of the mail. They were trying to do more stuff online, but it was it was just too late because Netflix was buying up all the content. So here's this public company. It has major competitors that it's trying to catch, play catch up with. It has activist investors creating coups within the company, getting executives ousted. And every time something bad happens, since it's a publicly traded company, there's a bearishness to it. And it's, it's a feedback loop. So... Something bad happens, the price of the share goes down, people are concerned about Blockbuster, which causes them to sell their shares for lower and lower prices, creating more panic, and it's it's bearish. So the bear spirit of the stock market is pawing down, and it, it just created a negative feedback loop, so to speak. Blockbuster racked up a bunch of debt, and come 2010, they had, I believe, $1.4 billion in debt compared to $1 billion or $1.1 billion in assets. So they called a balance sheet for a reason, and it was not balanced at all. They had too much debt, so they had to file bankruptcy. They had to file bankruptcy, and that's not necessarily the end of the world. There's been plenty of American companies that have came back from bankruptcy. But at this point, the founder wasn't there. A long-term CEO wasn't there. The employees didn't care, and the people didn't care either. They filed bankruptcy, Chapter 11, in late 2010. They set up a plan to get it back in good standing. 
but they didn't follow the plan. They wind up having being ordered by the court to have to sell all their assets, Carl Icahn being paid back first. And that's the story of Blockbuster. All the stores slowly fizzled out. I think there's... I, I looked it up, I believe... Two in Alaska, or three in Alaska, one in Oregon, and one in Texas. If you're feeling a little bit nostalgic, you can go back and check it out. Make a little road trip. There's also a companion article that I wrote. Please read that. It's a little bit more factual. It's also probably quicker than listening to me talk. But I hope you enjoyed it. Please subscribe and comment and leave a review. It really does a lot, and I would appreciate it most of all. Business Podcast, we're out.